Hello and welcome to the Soundtrack Sisters. I'm Gloria Bradford, film score composer and audio production editor. I have a Bachelor of Music in Film Scoring Composition from Berklee College of Music and a minor in writing for television and media. The majority of my work in education has been focused on composition and synthetic audio production, and I'm excited to discuss the various functions of music and film. And I'm Brenna Emmelkamp, performer and film music lover. I earned my degree in piano performance from Colorado State University, and I'm currently studying my master's in collaborative piano at Boston University. Much of my work is very performance focused, and one thing I love about collaborative piano is the collaboration between myself and other musicians, something that will hopefully give us some insight on the collaboration that has to occur between film composers, film orchestras, directors, and audiences. And welcome to our episode of The Soundtrack Sisters. Yeah. This is our second episode of The Soundtrack Sisters. We hope you enjoyed our first episode about what film music is and the different types of film music. If you missed that, we would love for you to take a listen to that as well. For this episode, we will be discussing a specific film and its music. So, Gloria, what are we talking about today? I am so glad you asked. Today we'll be discussing the music of Pride and Prejudice, specifically the 2005 version with Kira Knightley acting as protagonist Elizabeth Bennett and Matthew McFadden acting as Mr. Darcy. The movie is produced by Tim Beaven, Eric Fellner, and Paul Webster. The director is Joe Wright. This is the only version we will be reviewing today in this podcast episode, even though there are other movie versions of this excellent book. For those listening who have not read this Jane Austen novel or seen a movie adaptation of it, the plot is of a simple love story. The protagonist, Elizabeth Bennet, daughter of a gentleman, meets love interest, Mr. Darcy, who is a wealthy landowner. Uh, the two characters need to overcome the weaknesses of pride and prejudice in order to fall in love. That is a pretty good synopsis in a nutshell. It is a fantastic book, and there are really great movie adaptations. If you haven't seen one, I would definitely recommend it. Hopefully we can discuss the other movie versions at a later date, because that music is also worth talking about, particularly the 1995 BBC miniseries. It's my favorite. It's so excellent. Uh, But for today, we are going to talk about this more recent adaptation, even though, crazily enough, That was kind of a lot of years ago now, which makes me feel a little old. (laughs) Um, This is one of my favorite soundtracks just to listen to. We'll get into how or if it fully accomplishes its purpose in the film. But the music for this movie is just exquisite. It's scored by Dario Marianelli and very heavily focused on the piano. And honestly, it's just so gorgeous. I can't say that enough. Um, So I'm so excited to get into this. Yeah, I think it's a it's a very good choice for our first episode. It's beautiful. Anyway, quick note. Um, we're going to be using the terms score and soundtrack a lot. Oftentimes, the two can be used interchangeably. However, score refers to music in a movie. If you were to cut out all the sound effects and the dialogue, you'd be listening to the score, the underscore. The entirety of the underscore is made up of short musical sections called cues. A composer writes music for a movie, one cue, one section, regarding one scene at a time. The soundtrack is going to be a collection of clips used in a movie's underscore, released as an album or a CD. The soundtrack is more edited and simplified when compared to the score, but both contain the same material. A composer will often take the material in various cues and make a collection that's easier to listen to, a little bit more palatable, I guess you could say. 
A movie score will sometimes have unique time signature changes that comment on visual effects or cuts. Um, the, these effects aren't needed when listening to a soundtrack and it could be disturb disturbing or distracting if you're listening to a theme and then all of a sudden you're just distracted by random changes that aren't needed. This is important because the soundtrack that's on Spotify or wherever you listen to your music doesn't have all of the cues from the movie. Uh, the Pride and Prejudice film score and soundtrack, though, can easily stand on its own legs. Uh, you don't have to have watched the movie in order to fall in love with the score. Uh, one thing that is unique about the Pride and Prejudice soundtrack is that it combines the themes and moments from different parts of the score. Now that we've made our brief detour, I want us to talk briefly about the composer, his background, his work, as well as music of the Regency era and how that influenced and or inspired the music of this movie. I feel like learning a little bit more about the composer just gives a little bit more insight on the musical choices made in the movie. Excellent idea. Uh, like I said, Dario Marianelli is the composer, and the piano music is performed by French pianist Jean-Yves Thibaudet, which hopefully I said that right. Um, sorry if I didn't. Uh, Marianelli is an Italian composer, if you couldn't guess from his name. He studied in Florence and then in London, and he has quite a list of really amazing scores, apart from Pride and Prejudice, of course. He's probably most well-known for his scores for Anna Karenina and Atonement, which both coincidentally have Keira Knightley in them, and more recently, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, as well as Bumblebee and Darkest Hour. I also really love his soundtrack for Jane Eyre, the one from 2011. It's uh, mm -hmm. so good. Mm, so good. Mr. Marinelli, if you um, are listening to the show and you would like to come on as a guest, we'd love to have you. Please. Um, it's definitely <laughs> worth noting that um, he has been nominated for and won several prestigious awards. Specifically, he's won an Oscar, Golden Globe, and Ivor Novello Award for Best Original Score for Atonement. He was nominated for several awards for Prime Prejudice and ended up winning the Classical Brit Award. Um, he is known for working on several movies with director Joe Wright, of which Pride and Prejudice is one of them, as we mentioned. One quote that I found from Mr. Marinelli is, writing music professionally is a hard occupation, and writing for media definitely not is definitely not for the faint-hearted. One has to be able to enjoy the pain in order to be able to carry on successfully. I think one of the hardest things to deal with working as a composer involved in media is the anxiety that comes from being involved, uh, from being in a quite a vulnerable position. I'm, I mean, I, close quote, I don't have a portion of the experience that Mr. Marinelli does, but I feel like I understand this quote having gone through college and done projects of my own, that writing music is a very um, vulnerable thing when you're just giving up your emotions and your work and people listen to it and they don't like it but and especially when you're writing for a movie that uh, the director is going to be right you're trying to help create his image um and so if he doesn't like or if he doesn't think it fits you just scrap it and so Ugh. it's a tough job yeah sounds like working in mm. music mm -hmm. typically yeah. <laughs> everything is judged everything is judging <laughs> i learned that mr marianelli was inspired by listening to early piano sonatas of ludwig von beethoven for the pride and prejudice soundtrack he also mentioned that other parts of the score were inspired by other contemporary composers of the time music in this time period was written for dancing and mr marianelli wanted them to sound era appropriate 
For anyone who has watched Bridgerton, where modern songs are rearranged orchestrally, or Knight's Tale, where modern music is edited for the film, these two cases are using music of today to represent ideas and characters of a past era. Marinelli and Wright wanted to do the opposite and wanted to sound authentic. They wanted to pull the audience back in time to experience what a real Elizabeth Bennet would have experienced. Mm-hmm. This, I feel like, is actually more lasting because the songs won't go out of style necessarily Um, and this is a really interesting conversation and I think it's time for our brief history lesson Uh, it makes sense that he would base his ideas off of Beethoven given that Pride and Prejudice takes place in the Regency era which was from 1811 to 1820 I had to google it since I'm not British and I haven't followed the history of the monarchy But I guess this is when George, the Prince of Wales, ruled England as the regent, while King George III was a little bit crazy. Um, In other world events during this time, America entered the War of 1812 against England. Um, The Napoleonic Wars were in force. Japan was holding to its isolation. The Opium Wars would soon start in China. And photography was just invented. I don't think Pride and Prejudice specifically says what year it's set in exactly, but it's around this time period, maybe a little before or after. Um, But in thinking of the contemporary music of this era, we've got all of the Baroque and classical composers that had come before. So Mozart and Bach and Haydn and so forth. And this was also a huge composition time for Beethoven as he neared the end of his life. And fun fact, at this point, uh, he was almost or entirely deaf. Yeah. (laughs) Beethoven is considered a classical composer, although he has several distinct periods of composition that tend to gradually get more complex and more romantic. His early music, which Marianelli says he based a lot of the music on, is much more classical as a general rule. Although, honestly, it sometimes seems like he's mocking the classical style. And then uh, his middle period gets much more romantic and dramatic, and his late period can often be seen as pushing even romantic era boundaries. So basically, music historians might disagree with me, but I think Beethoven was really a romantic era composer, um, the first one. But (laughs) I think like the Regency era that this film is set in, he was sort of bridging the gap between the styles. I'm still trying to decide if I necessarily agree with the idea of the soundtrack being an exact match for the time period, but we'll get there. It is it is true, however, that Marianelli pulled music directly from very appropriate composers. One of the track is titled A Postcard to Henry Purcell. This music um, this is the music that's played as Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy have their first dance. The cue is an elaboration on an actual theme by Baroque and British composer Henry Purcell. Although he was a Baroque composer from many years before the movie was set, it fits really well with the setting of the movie because particularly during this time, amateur musicians were popping up all over Europe and it was considered part of a respectable woman's education to learn the piano and to have known Baroque and classical composers and in fact learn the piano with these pieces most likely. This theme would be the music that Elizabeth Bennet would have heard at dances and lessons, etc. Another great arrangement of the same theme can be heard by, can be heard composed by Benjamin Britten, um, called "Variation on a Theme" by Purcell. Britten is a late Romantic 20th century composer, so the version is extremely expressive. Returning to the movie, the dance music cues, other than this one, also seem very appropriate for the time period. With some of the upbeat ones reminding me of popular country dances that composers like Beethoven often composed 
more like a jig by Bach or something. And the slower ones kind of like minuets from anyone like Bach to Mozart to Beethoven. Um, since this is diegetic music, it makes even more sense why it would be so contemporarily appropriate. The militia march music also sounds very much like what it is, and it could be set in like a Revolutionary War movie just as easily with the drums and the flutes and such, keeping that militaristic march. So overall, I would say especially the diegetic music makes a lot of sense and definitely matches the time period. Um, I would, I think the audience in general can feel the difference between the diegetic music and the underscore. While the diegetic music is spot on and era appropriate, um, Marianelli plays more with the underscore, allowing himself to pull out or play with composing era adjacent music. Uh, music that sounds like it could be heard composed of that day, but also somehow seems above or beyond the time. So let's get into some of the main themes from this movie now that we've discussed some background. There are several themes and different cues in both the underscore and diegetic music involved, like you mentioned. Probably the most recognizable and prominent theme is the Dawn theme, which bookends the film. It is played as the main title sequence. The piece itself is separated into three sections and progressively gets more rhythmically complex as the picture exits nature and enters daily home life. I thought it was beautiful how the music builds on the quote-unquote action. It helps me gain the perspective of how complex daily life for the Bennett family could be, especially when compared to the still and quiet nature. The first cue is specifically curated for the opening sequence, which is seen as the music smoothly weaves throughout the dialogue and the scene changes. Another unique feature I noticed while watching is that they chose to include Mary's piano playing over the underscore. This technique of unrelated diegetic singing or playing overdubbing the underscore happens a few times throughout the show. Overall, I got the impression that this theme, the Dawn theme, represents the giddiness of falling in love and how it builds. The full romantic opening sequence makes home life seem more realistic when the score is absent in the very next scene. At the conclusion of the movie, the Dawn theme is played as Elizabeth enters her father's study to discuss Darcy's proposal. The cue actually ends unresolved, which means I, it, it ends before returning back to that dough. I thought it was a very interesting choice, kind of mysterious. I could think of no other way to communicate how giddy Elizabeth must have felt in that moment or how nervous Mr. Darcy could have felt as they both talked to Mr. Bennett. To have the music end as it did, still hanging in the air as the listeners yearn for the resolution is the musical equivalent of holding your breath. In other parts of the movie, the Dawn theme is used diegetically as Elizabeth plays the piano at Lady Catherine de Bourgh's house, and again as we see Georgiana for the first time at Pemberley. It is a beyond beautiful piece of music that may be a little confusing in its function within the movie because it's used in several different contexts. I agree with your analysis. Uh, it does sort of happen all over the place. And that's not to bash it. Uh, I love this theme. It's so gorgeous and fun to play. It enters with just one note repeated several times, and then, like you said, it builds from there. So I would agree that it's kind of a microcosm of the story of falling in love, where it starts as almost nothing and then builds. I think it's really appropriate for the opening scene to kind of foreshadow what's going to happen, and maybe it's supposed to be basically associated with Elizabeth, but like you said, it sometimes gets played in other places. It's also interesting to think about... Um, if or how this fits into the era. 
Like I said, I'm still not quite sure I entirely agree with all the music totally matching the style of Beethoven. Although in listening to some of his sonatas, I can see some similarities, such as the 6-8 rhythm that Beethoven is often a fan of. I've actually printed this music out for Dawn and played it before, and one might argue that it could be sort of seen as Beethoven-esque. But, like, at least from my experience playing it, I would argue that the light touch required and the style remind me much more of Mendelssohn, who was a little bit after Beethoven, born in 1809 and composing until his death in 1847. The Dawn theme actually kind of feels like some of Mendelssohn's Lieder ohne Wörter, or Songs Without Words. I would probably say this about most of the themes in this movie as well, just the style seems a little bit more romantic than classical, which is technically when the Regency era was taking place, the classical era. Um, But again, maybe this is supposed to reflect Elizabeth and her forward thinking, telling us that she was ahead of her time. I mean, I would agree with that. Jane Austen was definitely ahead of her time, and those uh, those thoughts are often reflected in her characters. So I could easily see this theme being used as a musical reflection of that. I feel like the forward yearning can be felt specifically in the stylistic differences between the underscore and the diegetic music. There are also a lot of other themes in this movie um, heavily relying on the piano. One of them is the living sculptures, which vastly contrasts the dawn theme. Specifically, it occurs when Elizabeth is at Pemberley looking at the statues. This is a different purpose to the dawn theme, which to me represents the act of falling in love generally, while the statues theme represents Elizabeth falling in love with Mr. Darcy specifically. Again, this is actually pretty similar to the Dom theme with the piano part, but adds more orchestra and maintains a slower tempo during the entire cue. The theme can also be heard in the soundtrack on Stars and Butterflies. As orchestra tends to do, this gives the theme a sense of longing. The sculptures at Pemberley scene is when Elizabeth realizes, oh dang, I could have lived at this gorgeous place with this guy that I'm accidentally falling in love with. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) So um, I think the mix of piano with which maybe reflects her character and the longing sense from the strings in the orchestra gives the audience the same feeling. Another theme is the Georgiana theme. This is played as diegetic music as Georgiana plays the piano and it's added as a full orchestral arrangement as um, Mr. Bingley rehearses his proposal to Jane with Mr. Darcy. I'm not sure how the theme is supposed to connect the two ideas in two scenes, but again, it's beautiful. <laughs> That's a good question. On one hand, I think it works as really excellent diegetic music because this theme does sound much more like Beethoven with the busy left hand playing the harmonies for the most part, and then the very clear repeated sections or variations. Um, Even the going between major and minor just sounds a lot like Beethoven or Mozart to me, like Mozart's 12 variations on the Twinkle Twinkle Little Star theme. There's major ones, there's minor ones, etc. So it really works for Georgiana, who was an accomplished pianist, to be playing something like this. As for why it's played while Mr. Bingley is rehearsing his proposal to Jane, I'm not sure. My best guess is that perhaps because Mr. Darcy loves his sister Georgiana, Uh, It is symbolic of him also accepting the Bennett family as part of his own and encouraging Mr. Bingley to propose to Jane, but that's just a guess. It could also just be it's a beautiful piece of music and the director fell in love with it. It definitely could be. (laughs) It's a very active piece that brings excitement into the visuals, which I feel is appropriate for a man preparing preparing to propose. 
I guess one day we'll just have to ask Mr. Marianelli and find out the real answer. <laughs> Chime in, Mr. Marianelli. And, uh, <laughs> let us know. Another love theme is the Mrs. Darcy theme from the very end of the movie. Also in contrast with the Dawn theme, the Mrs. Darcy theme has a slow rhythmic tempo and a clear melody. Strings play in unison or in simple harmony. It seems to represent the deep emotion and allows room for the prominent dialogue. A note on this one, the cue on the soundtrack actually starts with the Dawn theme, slightly slower I think, and then it goes into the unison strings. So I think in this case, um, the Dawn theme is serving to connect uh, the movie from the first to the last scene. Um, and then it turns into this beautiful slow and romantic melody and then it ends by going back to the Dawn theme. I think this reflects the journey that both Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy have had, falling in love and opening their hearts to each other and then ending up together. <laughs> <laughs> the Mrs. Darcy theme occurs specifically um, throughout the movie and is easily identified if you listen to the soundtrack separately. Most important, um, it occurs at the conclusion when the newlywed couple expresses their feeling regarding nicknames. I feel like the music is really contrasting to the rest of the score. The tempo was slow, the harmony in unison. The arrangement is simple but not sparse. To me, it seems to melodically represent our protagonist's newfound peace that comes once settled in each other's affection and commitment. This moment, there is great love, passion, etc., but it's not the same giddiness of does he, doesn't he, do I, don't I, the back and forth flutterings of growing love that I think many of us have felt and that is musically apparent in the other themes of the movie. I think the Mrs. Darcy theme is settled, it's resolved, it's established. What makes this theme special to me is that it's hinted earlier in the movie. If you're listening to the soundtrack, you wouldn't notice it because it's specifically edited to accompany the visuals. Specifically at the Netherfield Ball that Mr. Bingley hosts, Elizabeth dances with Mr. Darcy. At the conclusion of the scene, Elizabeth is hiding in the hall, and for a brief second, the underscore foreshadows the future union of Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy by playing the Mrs. Darcy theme. It's very subtle, but very well executed. We, the audience, understand that Elizabeth has the opinion that passion and love are developed through dancing. We know that Mr. Darcy has asked Elizabeth to dance and has not asked anyone else ever. Therefore, we can conclude that Mr. Darcy is trying to gain some of Elizabeth's affection, an unsuccessful venture at the time. However, the music provides us with hope that Mr. Darcy's attempts would not end in vain, not that the audience understands the meaning of the theme when first played. And I didn't notice it until I watched it most more recently, and I say, well played, Mr. Marinelli. Good job. <laughs> um, that really is very clever. Uh, it's the little things that make the difference, honestly. Uh, like I think we have mentioned, strings are often very romantic, and I think this cue just perfectly describes the sweetness of their romance. There's passion, but it's really just a pure love story, and I think it's beautiful. The next theme that I wanted to mention is Liz on Top of the World. This is the beautiful music that plays as Elizabeth stands amidst the beautiful landscape. I feel it really helps to capture how romantic Elizabeth is as a character and her future potential for love. The cue has an active piano rhythm and a melody over sustained strings. The strings are playing the Mrs. Darcy theme, another nod to Elizabeth's future nuptials. It's the theme that is also played as Mr. Darcy appears in the end, walking in the early morning across the meadow to Elizabeth. This is my personal favorite cue of the movie. Nice. This is a gorgeous piece. And like you said, there are two parts, the piano part and the strings part. I think this is one of the main reasons I really feel like this is pushing a much more romantic era style. Exactly. 
Because the beautiful string melody hinting at the Mrs. Darcy theme is just, it's so romantic. And the piano part by itself could be somewhat classical, but it really is quite romantic as well. Um, it starts off quietly and repeats the same phrase several times before blossoming into this really lush piano theme that is a counter melody to the string theme. It is so lovely and I think very accurately describes the landscape and the beauty of the moment, which again to me makes it a very romantic and programmatic piece. It's so beautiful. And the last theme I want to mention is Your Hands Are Cold. Yes, that's what that's what it's called on the soundtrack. I thought it's interesting that the soundtrack's piece included two themes from very different parts of the movies. It starts with the rough, emotional, frustrated orchestral ostinato that plays preceding Mr. Darcy's first declaration of his love, which then fades into the soft, calm music that plays a Mr. Darcy's second declaration of his love. In the latter half, you have the calm, smooth orchestra, um, which then fades into the grand piano that provides um, the cue texture, rhythm, and up-tempo that matches the theme of Liz on Top of the World, another interesting choice. It's in these moments that I see how many of the themes in this movie easily overlay one another and how the themes are commenting on one another, expressing different ideas when heard all together at one time. While these two cues are not played subsequently in the movie, I thought it was interesting that they were combined in the soundtrack to show the change of Elizabeth's heart. I feel like the soundtrack number is really Pride and Prejudice in 6 minutes and 22 seconds. <laughs> you experience the up and downs, the flutters, and the calm. It contains pretty much all the main love themes we've mentioned up to this point. That is so genius. <laughs> like you said, there are a lot of ups and downs, getting really quiet and then really passionate. I think you're absolutely right that it's a perfect description of the story of our two lovers and it's just such a beautiful backdrop to the scene of them finally admitting that they're in love during this exquisite sunrise. Oh, romance. <laughs> um, so in conclusion, um, of the many scores that I know, Pride and Prejudice is extremely recognizable and wonderful to study too. The melodies are beyond beautiful. Um, however, the complexity of the rhythmic texture in several of the cues results in an overactive melody, and it may occasionally leave the listener distracted from the visual medium uh, due to the sheer beauty of the music, which, you know, not necessarily I bad. I mean, I can't blame you. It's, it's great. <laughs> um, it, it would have been maybe, like, better to have a more simple melody or motif attached clearly to Elizabeth's character or emotions and could have been manipulated or used more prominently throughout the entire film. But I imagine this wasn't the director's intention. It's, it's great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like whenever I listen to Liz on top of the world, that theme, I can see Mr. Darcy walk across the meadow. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, having heard all the themes, I, I feel like I, I, when I hear them, I remember the scene that they're affiliated with. Um, they're all very unique and identifiable and beautiful as well. The score to listen to, um, it just, it's so beautiful. It just is wonderful. It puts you in that great headspace, but it's, um, they don't really connect the scenes together sometimes. Um, when I watch the movie, I, I feel like I, I don't need the music to help me understand the movie's themes or ideas any more clearly. I felt like the score kind of acts like a frosting on top of a cake rather than layers of frosting within a cake. The music help adds to the visual aesthetic rather than the thematic elements. It doesn't change anything about the movie structure or the function, but it makes it more pleasant to watch and enjoy, which is a good choice. Like, exactly. it works. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Having... Um, had there been more a clear theme for Elizabeth specifically that shifted or was arranged or was altered as her opinion changed throughout the movie, it could have added more to the understanding of the plot. 
Unique themes regarding Jane's affection or Mr. Bennett's affection towards his daughters could have also been a refreshing addition. However, I think it was a deliberate choice to focus on Elizabeth as a central character and have the music support more of Elizabeth's world building rather than the plot or the character development. I agree. I think it's a really wonderful score. Um, I just listen to it for fun sometimes. <laughs> and you should too. You <laughs> exactly. Um, sometimes I think the music is extremely appropriate and era fitting. And sometimes I think it's a little more romantic than possibly fits the era. But I do feel like that fits the character of Elizabeth and her forward thinking. So overall, this was definitely a pleasant experience. I mean, darn, I had to listen to the soundtrack know, over and over again. Not complaining Whoops. over here. All that being said, that's a wrap for this episode of The Soundtrack Sisters. If you enjoyed this episode or think of someone else who may enjoy it, please subscribe to our channel so you don't miss a thing and feel free to share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Soundtrack Sisters. That's all one word. It's lowercase. If you would like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. Information will be listed in the description. Yeah. Whoop whoop. <laughs>